Let's take out our Bibles today. And we're going to be continuing our series through Acts. And so let's open up to Acts chapter 9. And last week, Catherine brought a great word on Saul's conversion, but the suddenlies and the steadilies, how the Lord works in our lives. Sometimes it's a suddenly, sometimes it's a steadily, sometimes we want a suddenly and it's a steadily, sometimes we would prefer a steadily and it's a suddenly, and both suddenlies and steadilies, of course, take humility and trust and obedience to respond to what the Lord is doing. And so uh, this morning, I'm just wanting to uh, bring out a few things from the latter part of Acts chapter 9, and I might pray before I jump in. Lord, as we open up your word this morning, God, thank you for it. What a privilege it is, Lord, to be able to read and open up your word. God, it is living and active, it is powerful, Lord, to, to shape us, to change us, to teach us to correct us where we need that, God. And we don't want to come to your word this morning with a sense of indifference or heard it all before, but Lord, may we come with open hearts, intentionally desiring to hear what you would have to say to us, God. And I pray that you would stir us, encourage us, challenge us, convict us where that's needed. God, would your word go forth and accomplish that which uh, you desire and you have purposed. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 31 of Acts chapter 9, we read this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. But after a period of fairly intense persecution, here... The church has entered into a season of peace. Now, I think that one of the reasons for this is the major protagonist of the persecution has become saved. So if there's opposition, the best way to kind of get a bit of peace back is to just see someone encounter the Lord Jesus. But Peter, as we read on this morning, things had settled down. So off he went, and uh, as we'll read, and the Lord's sovereign hand was at work leading him and propelling him and and preparing him for what was about to come in Acts chapter 10, the opening up of the salvation to the Gentiles. But there's a couple of things that I want to just uh, focus on this morning. Of course, we've been focusing on the many characteristics of the early church, the things that really marked the early church in how they lived and and how they went about doing life. But this morning, I guess I want to focus a little bit more on how the early believers were known, how they were called, what was their identity, and how did this shape and frame their lives, and how should it do so for us today? So we're going to read from verse 32, and it says, Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, as he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda, there he found a man named Aeneas bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. 
and she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Two quite significant miracles here that we've read this morning, and, and kind of just snuck in there in the midst of everything else that's been happening, in the midst of persecution, and we looked at Philip a couple of weeks ago where he was you know, out and about doing incredible things for the Lord, and then of course this incredible account of Saul's conversion. But here, just at the end of Acts chapter 9, just a couple of miracles and a few things snuck in there that if we, we, it'd be easy to miss or look over. A significant physical healing and a person being raised from the dead. And as we read the account of these miracles and we look at what is happening here, I don't know about you, but to me, it looks very much like the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. It looks very much like the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. As the kingdom of God is advancing and spreading here, we see Peter walking in the same manner as Jesus walked, following after what Jesus had modeled. And you know, for us today, I believe that we are called to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. That our lives would look very much like Jesus. And it's fascinating to see that there are such similarities in this miracle at Lydda with the account of Jesus' healing of the, the paralytic in Mark chapter 2, verse 11. And Jesus himself says, I, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And then healing comes instantly to the man's body. People are amazed and give God the glory. And then this miracle at Joppa, the, the raising of Tabitha from the dead, it really corresponds with Jesus' raising of Jairus' daughter from Mark chapter 5, where he says, Talitha, arise. And it's interesting, just one word different in the Greek. Talitha, arise. Tabitha, arise. And it's interesting because people are hanging around mourning and weeping and showing them all the stuff that Tabitha had done for them while she'd been alive. And Peter, he puts outside the mourners, puts them outside, puts aside the distractions, puts aside those making a commotion, anyone and anything that would hinder an atmosphere of faith, just like Jesus did, just like Jesus had modelled in that particular account back in Mark chapter 5. This is what it says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. It says, Whoever says he abides in him, abides in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which 
he walks. In this passage, I believe that we see Peter living this out, following the blueprint, if you like, that Jesus had set for his disciples to follow. In Matthew 10, we can read, Jesus says, you know, go, the kingdom, go and preach, the kingdom is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead. This is what Peter was just doing. Walking in the same manner in which Jesus walked. And the fruit, of course, is a turning to the Lord, the fruit of the miraculous, of the power of the Lord being on full display should be that he is seen and that many would in fact return and turn to him. So what a picture this is. What a vision of how things could be and how things should be. Oh, that our lives and our church would look very much like Jesus, that we too would walk in the manner that Jesus walked. And that that would result in many turning to the Lord. And so for this to to happen and to be outworked in our lives, I believe that it's important that we recognize and grab hold of, of something else that's significant. Something else that's almost hidden away in this passage we've read this morning. And it's it's to do with remembering our position in Christ. Remembering who we are, for it will enable us to walk in the same manner in which Jesus walked. And so there's a particular word that's used in a couple of places in this passage, verse 32, verse 41, and earlier in uh, Acts 9. And it's introduced, really, in this chapter of Acts. Earlier on, those who would follow Jesus were called disciples, believers. We see that term interchangeably used. But here, there's a particular word that is how followers of Jesus came to be known. It's a favorite term of the Apostle Paul. It's used over 60 times in his writings to describe New Testament believers. And it's this word. It's saints. Peter went here and there among them all. He came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. We are called as saints. Flowing on from looking at how we are called to walk in the same manner as Jesus did. My desire this morning is to just spend a little bit of time focusing, unpacking this a little bit on what it means to be saints, for this is how the early believers were known. And so the word saint is uh, pretty uncommon these days, I would say. It's pretty misunderstood, perhaps. I came across this humorous account or joke during the week you'll uh, allow me to indulge. It says, there's a story about two brothers who had terrorized the small town where they lived for decades. They were unfaithful to their wives. They neglected their kids. They were dishonest in business. They were loud and boisterous and just plain rude to nearly everyone. One day, out of the blue, the younger brother died. The older brother went to the preacher of the local church and said, Pastor, I'd like you to conduct my brother's funeral. And it's important to me that during the service, you say that my brother was a saint. The minister said, I can't do that. We both know that he was far from that. So the older brother pulled out his checkbook and he said, Pastor, I'm prepared to give $100,000 to your church. All I'm asking is that you publicly state that my brother was a saint. On the day of the funeral, the pastor began his sermon this way. Everyone here knows that the deceased man was was wicked. 
He was a womanizer, he was a drunk, he terrorized his employees, he cheated on his taxes. The preacher paused for a second and then continued. But as evil and sinful as this man was, compared to his older brother, he was a saint. But this word saint is pretty uncommon or misunderstood these days, isn't it? It's often used to describe someone that's, you know, we think is particularly pious or morally upright. You know, in our kind of day-to-day conversations, it would be uncommon to, to talk about someone as a follower of Jesus and say, oh, did you know, I just found out my doctor's a saint. Or, you know, when you're talking to someone and getting to know them and you tell them that you're a follower of Jesus, it's unlikely that you're going to say, well, actually, I'm, I'm a saint. You might get a few interesting looks, mightn't you? But to walk in the same manner as Jesus, a few things I want to encourage us this morning. We need to remember our position and identity as a saint. In Christ, our position is as a saint. And so this word saint carries with it, as I've touched on, a whole range of different connotations. People being canonized and all that sort of thing in some arms of the church. But let me be clear this morning that someone who is a saint, it's not someone that's perfect. It's not for those who have it all together. It does not imply that we are already perfect It's not something to make us proud or puffed up. Oh, we're saints. How good are we? It's not something that we can attain by our own efforts or our own merit. It says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, Paul writing, he says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with those who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Those who are saints are those who are in Christ. Christ Jesus, and have called on his name. And so here in verse 32, where it talks about going down to the saints, it's, a, it's an interesting word that's used to describe God's people. And the particular Greek word is hagios, and it's translated as holy. So it carries a sense of holiness about it. So separation from sin and dedication to God. But also It talks about the root meaning of it, of the word. It means different. So something that is different than the ordinary run of things. Something that is set apart, perhaps we could say. So for example, this building for many, many years was a warehouse, right? But it is different now as in it's been set apart for a holy purpose. So saints carries this connotation, this meaning of being holy, set apart, but also being different. So when we are in Christ, our position or our identity is as saints, as those set apart for the Lord and for his purposes, those washed clean by the blood of Jesus, those raised from death to life, those raised from darkness to light, for a purpose. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9, you're welcome to turn there if you want, but it's fine, I can read it out otherwise. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him 
who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. And so this word for holy, as in you are a holy nation, this word is the same Greek word used for saints in Acts 9 that we've read this morning. It refers to those who have been brought out of darkness into his marvellous light, saved by the grace of God through the precious blood of Jesus, through faith in his name. And it's not so that we can boast. It's not so that we can say, hey, how special are we? But because it's, it's basically because of how wonderful and special the one to whom we belong is. And as we remember and know our de- identity as saints, we can rest assured in the finished work of the cross, that we have right standing with God. So this morning, remember your position and your identity as a saint. Through Jesus and through the finished work of the cross, we have right standing with God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That shame can be lifted as we remember whose we are and who we are in Him. That we are set apart for Him. And so when the enemy comes, comes knocking to speak lies or to bring condemnation, to heap shame and accusation upon us, remember that in Christ you are a saint. That is your position in him. And so as we grab hold of our position in Christ as saints, there is a flow-on effect to our lives, I believe. Secondly, this morning, I want to encourage us that our position as saints produces something. If we're to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked, if we're to grab hold of our position as saints, holy and different and set apart for God's glory and for his purposes. It actually produces something. It leads to something. There's an overflow, if you like, in our lives. Dare I say it, it helps us realize this this responsibility that we have before the Lord. Consider the lives of the early believers. Of course, we've been journeying in Acts for a little while now, and we've seen how the gospel was outworked in their lives. They were proclaiming the gospel to hostile hearers at times, weren't they? They were praying for boldness in the face of threats. They, we read that they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to God's word. They were devoted to uh, the apostles' teaching and fellowship and all those things. There was no sense of things being flippant or casual or half-hearted, was there, about their walk with Jesus. They were known by their love. The fear of the Lord, this awe and reverence was operating so strongly in their lives. They were able to face suffering and persecution, even death, with peace and with joy. What a picture of devotion. What a picture of of this, this holy call that they had as saints. And why was why were they able to live this way? Why were they able to live in such a manner? As this, I believe it was something to do with grabbing hold of the fact that they were saints and that they had a holy call, that they were a people set apart, that they were a people different. And as such, it produced something in the way that they lived. It means that there is something different about the way that we live. Dare I say it should look very much like Jesus. And this has practical applications for us because of the fact that there is a holy call. 
Because if we are called as saints and set apart and different, there should be something different about our lives, something holy. There should be, I guess, a sense of being marked by his love, marked by reverence for the Lord, marked by holiness of speech and of conduct and of seeking to live lives of, of purity and yielded to and continually led and sanctified by the Spirit of God. And it's not just avoiding evil, of course, like, oh, staying away from all the bad stuff, but, but pursuing godliness, pursuing godliness because we recognize who he is, what he has done, and the position that he has given us, the identity and standing that he has given to us. So then recognizing, hey, I want to grow in godliness. I want to grow and know this Lord and King more and more and more. If we think about just in, in life, in the natural, if you're given a position of, of leadership or of responsibility of, of some sort, it comes with a, with a call to live up to that position. I, I'm sure that many have seen that movie, Cool Runnings. It's one of my favourites growing up and my uh, two boys love it as well. I think it's hilarious. But there's, this, there's a couple of moments, there's this scene where uh, one of the, the, the guys in the team, Sanka, is wanting to be the driver of the bobsled. And then the coach, uh, John Candy, the char- character that he plays, he says, no, you're going to be at the back. You're not to be the leader. You're not going to be the driver. And he says, Doris is going to be the driver, this other guy, the one who's got responsibility. And, you know. and he says, no, but I want to be the driver. He says, okay, well, let me tell you this. You're the one that's responsible for all the lives of the people in the bobsled. You know, when everyone else is out having a good time, the leader, the one who's in that position, is, he's, he's there studying the track. He's there preparing, you know, so that everyone's kept safe and so that you're able to, to basically, you know, do the best run that you can. There's this responsibility that comes and Sanka's like, yep, okay, he's the driver, that's fine. <laughs> Because when there's a position of leadership or a position of something with responsibility, it comes with a call to live up to that. It's the same for us, I believe. Not as a works thing, not as a trying to earn our approval with God or anything like that, but as a response to who He is. This is what it says in Philippians 1.27. And it's both an exhortation and an encouragement and a challenge, I believe. It says, only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. If we look at the, the early saints, the early church, Peter and John, there were times where they were boldly uh, standing before those opposing them and boldly proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming Jesus. And as they kind of saw this happening, they recognized they were just ordinary, uncommon, uneducated, uh, common, uneducated men. But they could recognize that there was something different about them. It could be seen. It could be noticed. And they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. We looked a few weeks ago at Stephen in the face of just horrific suffering and persecution. That he faced that with peace and with joy. There was something different about the way that ordinarily you would face that sort of situation. Remember, 
what our position as saints must produce in our lives. A call to holiness, a call to live lives different from the world, set apart. And you know, this, this whole idea, I think, perhaps at times is not as commonly preached or talked about in the church at large. Perhaps it's not as popular. And I recognize that there have been times when it's uh, perhaps been skewed a little bit, easy to slip into a legalistic or behavior modification path. So I hope you can hear my heart this morning. Because I believe just because some may have skewed the message, it does not uh, mean that we shouldn't be preaching it and talking about this holy call that we have as God's people. Look at the early church. The early believers, they knew the weighty responsibility of their high call as saints. And for us today, there is still a high calling for holiness to be set apart and for it to impact our lives. Our speech, how we treat others, our workplaces. For those married, how we love and honor and treat our spouses, how we uh, are with our families, both immediate and wider, our colleagues at work. It has an impact and a flow on effect to every aspect of our lives, I believe, as we seek to, to live our lives responding to the high calling that the Lord has given us. So remember your position and your identity as saints. Remember that position carries with it, produces something. And finally this morning, our position as saints carries a privilege. A privilege. It's not to be for us to be puffed up or to draw attention to ourselves to somehow make it all about us in the midst of an already self-centered generation, but rather our privilege in response to our position. Right standing with God as saints is to proclaim. It's to proclaim. As we grab hold of the call to be his people set apart and holy and different, it's for the purpose of a proclamation to show forth who the Lord is. As it says in 1 Peter 2, as we touched on earlier, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. The excellencies of him. What a privilege that is to live our lives with right standing with God in Christ because of what Jesus has done to be known and to live our lives as saints, for that to have a flow on and an impact on the way that we live, and then this privilege that we carry to proclaim the excellencies of him in the manner of our lives, in the words that we speak, that our lives would be like signposts pointing to the one who is worthy, pointing to the one who is the answer. The worship team's able to come up. That'd be fantastic. Thank you. We've read this morning how Peter walked in the same manner as Jesus did. Miracles, healings, preaching and proclaiming the kingdom. So all the big things, the exciting things. But don't underestimate the significance and the power of walking 
in the same manner as Jesus did, in the everyday, in the unremarkable, knowing, grabbing hold of this, this position, this identity that we have as saints. He went down to the saints at Lydda, to those in Christ, to those living as holy, to those set apart for the Lord, to those living in the same manner as Jesus, and those proclaiming the message. Because it says, we know in the early part of Acts chapter 8, that those who were scattered went about proclaiming the message. May it be said of us, the 21st century saints, if you like, that we grabbed hold of and took seriously our call as saints, that we are rooted and established in Christ, that we're living as people holy and set apart for the Lord, for his purpose, and that as a result, we knew our privilege to proclaim the message of the one who has accomplished it all, the one who is worthy of it all. So remember this morning that in Christ, you are saints. So let us live up to that high call. Amen. Amen. Would you stand this morning? We're going to just finish in this way. You guys have got another song? We're going to proclaim the excellencies of our God as we finish this morning. And of course, there will be an opportunity for prayer. There'll be an opportunity to respond to the Lord, whether that's to do with anything that we've looked at in the sermon this morning, whether that's you've come this morning weary and burdened and you want prayer, just as we uh, spent some time in that place for communion. Let's pray together. Lord, as we consider who you are, as we consider the finished work of the cross, as we consider the love that you have poured out upon us, Lord, as we consider that you have called us as saints, set apart for you, Lord, different. What else could we do, Lord? What else could we do but respond in praise, but live our lives, Lord God, for your glory, but live our lives to proclaim the wonders of who you are. And I pray this morning, Lord God, that we would go from this place knowing our calling and our identity as saints. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would lift off shame and condemnation, the accusations of the enemy, and that, Lord, there would be a fresh reminder for us that in you, Jesus, we have right standing with God. We have been cleansed. We've been brought from darkness to light, from death to life, and are saints. Help us to live out that high calling that you've given us, Lord. That, Lord, in the manner of our lives, you would be seen. Something different would be seen in us, Lord God, that would actually bring glory to you, 
would point many people towards you, Lord. Give us courage. Give us strength, I pray. This week, there would be something different about the way that we speak, about the way that we live, about the way that we respond to trials and temptations and anything that may come against us, Lord. And at every opportunity we get, may our lives proclaim who you are. And Lord, I just bless each and every person here this morning. With that renewed revelation of who they are in you, Lord. May we go from here with joy in our hearts, with faith and expectancy for the week ahead. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to just finish in worship and then uh, the prayer team will come up during that song. For any of you who would like prayer this morning, please uh, make sure you take that opportunity. God bless you this week.